Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Now our series in Matthew is somewhat challenging, and that's because um, just like the other Gospels, Matthew has a specific Um, intention for writing his account. So you see the Gospel of Matthew, it's not written like a historical textbook, okay? Um, He's not just reciting events. He's not really overly concerned about the chronology of how everything moves along in time, although he, he does have a progression of time, but he's not too much concerned about that. Um, there's a reason why he is writing his gospel. There's an argument he wants to make. There's, there, there's a way that he wants to persuade his readers. And so the question is, is, what is that? What is he trying to convince us of as he writes this gospel? And uh, what's fun about the book of Matthew is that he doesn't just come out right out and tell us. We kind of have to dig for it. So if you like mysteries... If you like mysteries, if you like trying to figure figure out puzzles, that's the question: is is what is it that Matthew is trying to communicate to us? And I think we have somewhat of an idea of what that is. So the main idea of Matthew that that we want to throw out there throughout this whole entire series is this: is to follow the promised King into His kingdom to follow this promised king into his kingdom. So hopefully as we preach out this series, as we preach through the whole book of Matthew, that that each sermon will kind of point to this main idea in some way, that it'll all kind of fit and come together. So at the end of the series, you're like, ah, that makes sense. So we're Hopefully that will happen this morning as well. So let me give you a little bit of review and how, and how we see this kind of unfold this idea of this promised king coming into his kingdom. So previously we covered the genealogy, a genealogy and it, and it's laid out and, and lays out this lineage of the Kings and highlights specifically King David. And remember King David, if you go back to second Samuel, he receives this promise from God that his throne will be forever. You're like, whoa, how in the world can God promise something like that to King David? How is that going to happen? And so it's, what's interesting is, is through this lineage, starting with Abraham, there's a promise of Abraham with Abraham too, that all nations will be blessed. But that, that covenant promise leads us to the covenant promise to David that there will be one who sits on the throne and his throne will be established forever. And then it continues on and ooh, there's a bump in the road with this exile. That means there's no king on the throne for a while and ends up with this man named Joseph. It ends with this man named Joseph who is legally in line of the Davidic kingdom. He is a legitimate uh, a person who is, can be legitimately put on the throne of David. It's in his line. And then after that genealogy, so we talked about that, I think that was two weeks ago. Then it jumps into a story that's centered around Joseph. Joseph is kind of basically the main character. And rightly so, if the Davidic kingdom is through his line. And it has to do with this marriage to Mary. And there's a problem. See, Mary is pregnant. And it wasn't from him. There's some trouble here. He doesn't know what to do. He, he comes up with his solution, and that is to divorce her quietly. But God comes to him and says, that's not the solution. I have a different solution you need to marry her. And here's the reason why. And, and he reveals these 
deep theological truths that God is doing something here and it's significant and it's going to change the course of Joseph's life. It'll also change the course of history. Here are the three theological truths that we talked about last week. Number one, that this child was conceived from the Holy Spirit, not by any man, but from the Holy Spirit. Number two, that the child would save his people from their sin. This is a problem that started way back in Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and ate from a tree that they were commanded not to. From then on, we've, we've had problems, haven't we? We still have these problems today. But this child would save his people from their sin. And then number three, the child would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So from the very beginning, Joseph knows from this dream, through this angel communicating to him, that this child that's going to be born is unlike any other human being that's ever been born. He's going to be different. Actually, it's going to be God in the flesh. So this is, changes the course of Joseph. And, and so instead of divorcing Mary, he marries her. Therefore, making Jesus legally a legitimate heir to the throne. See, Joseph's solution was just a divorce, cut it off. But by marrying, he's actually, it's, it's, it's God's plan being worked out through Joseph. That this is the coming king. That was promised long ago. So now this morning, we're going to continue with the birth narrative, but there's something interesting because it's not really about the birth. You see, we just heard about what happened before the birth and then Matthew skips the birth event altogether. You read about the birth event in Luke. Matthew skips it. And now he's going to communicate something, another narrative, another event that takes place. And I think that there's a reason for it. There's a reason why he skips the birth narrative and goes to this event that takes place. He is choosing particular events. Remember, we're trying to figure out why he, what he's, what his whole point is here. And so, you know, like in, um, in a movie, um, when they film a movie, they film a lot of scenes and they do a lot of takes with different parts of it. And then they have to have a time of editing. So they have hours and hours of film and then they have to squeeze it down to what, an hour and a half to two hours, somewhere around there. Well, in the same way, Matthew has a slew of information and a whole bunch of stories about Jesus in his life. He's only got so much time and you only got so much, you know, papyra to write on. So much space to write on. What is he going to include, include and what is he going to exclude? Well, he includes this event. So we got to ask the question, why? There's a reason behind it. What is that reason? I think it is this. This is the main idea of this particular text. And it kind of connects to our main idea of the whole book. And it is this, to be assured that no power on earth can thwart God's coming kingdom. Be assured that no power on earth can thwart God's kingdom. So hopefully as we walk through this text, you'll be able to see this rise to the surface that this is what Matthew is trying to communicate. So let's read this passage together. This is Matthew chapter two, verses one through 23. I'm going to read it out loud, but um, what we're trying to do is create a, um, a practice that as we read God's word, that we honor his word by standing together. So can we do that? If you're able to stand, you don't have to, but this is just a way that as we read, we, we honor his word and so let's read 
I'll read it out loud. You can follow along. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, and are by no means least among the rulers of Judea, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and he went to the land of Israel. But when he had but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we, as we walk through this passage, there's a lot here. I pray, Lord, that that you would speak, that you would bring us encouragement, and that we would be assured that no power on earth can thwart God's, your kingdom, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so I broke up this narrative into scenes. That's usually the trend when it comes to narratives. So scene number one is that wise men seek the king of the Jews. So again, this event takes place after Jesus is born. Uh, this is a young family, Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus. It makes sense that they don't, they don't travel. They don't, they don't just have the baby and then leave Bethlehem. They have a, 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 a new baby with them. Um, it's kind of dangerous to travel with, you know, the elements and everything. So they, they probably most likely have family in Bethlehem because Joseph, his, his line comes from Bethlehem. So they probably found a place to stay. I think the text says, you know, they, they were in a house. 
um, by the time the wise men come to see them. And so they, they kind of establish uh, a place there and, and spend some time there. And the scene starts with these wise men, and they can also be called magi. They, these are um, maybe magicians or uh, astrologers, those who seek meaning in the stars. That's, that's the kind of men they are. They're from the east, and that's basically all we know about them. We know the kind of men they are, these, these wise men, but also that they just came from a general direction, the east. Now, there are some commentators, some theologians and scholars that say that they probably came out of Babylon. Now, there's some other, other places as well, but they, they like to point to Babylon, and the reason is this, is it kind of points back to some Old Testament scriptures um, and a series that we actually have done in the past, our series on Daniel. Daniel was from the east as well. He was from Babylon. Remember, he was taken out of Israel um, during the exile as a young man. He went to Babylon and he was trained um, in that culture. And what's interesting about him is that he became a prefect for these wise men. He was uh, trained in it, and, and um, even though he lived in Babylon, he was faithful to God, and God blessed him and gave him the ability to interpret dreams and to have significant dreams himself. And, and through this, he's, he saved the king and instructed the king at different times. And so the, the leaders and the king of Babylon at that time saw the giftings and raised him up to oversee, to be an overseer of all these kinds of wise men, you know, astrologers and sorcerers and magicians. So if you think about it, it would be like, him overseeing an institution of our day, a scholarly institution like a college or a university that he was overseeing. He was overseeing the instructs, instructors, the philosophers, the professors. And so he had access to the library. Not only that, he actually wrote quite a few documents himself. And so Fast forward hundreds of years later to these wise men, the, there's, a, there's a probability, a, a good chance that these wise men knew of Daniel and even read some of the things that Daniel wrote. In fact, they could have read the same scriptures that we have in the Old Testament, specifically the book of Daniel. These wise men could have actually read the same scriptures, the book of Daniel that we read today. So these wise men, they come to these and they have this knowledge, they have this understanding and it's um, probably through maybe astrology, but also through their studies and perhaps from uh, scriptures like Daniel that they come to this conclusion that the king of the Jews have just been born they're following this star, this, this indicator. They come into Jerusalem and they start asking around. And this brings us to scene two. Well, before we get to scene two, think about this for a minute. But one, we don't know how many wise men there are. We always say that there's three. That We don't know that for sure. We know that there's three gifts. So we think, ah, oh, three gifts, three wise men. no. Um, there could have been more, could have been just two, but we know that there's a group of them and they come into Jerusalem and they start asking questions. And the significant one is, where is this king of the Jews that's to be born? Okay. This starts stirring the pot. This starts causing problems. And this, this now gets us to scene two. And it's King Herod's evil plan. King Herod's evil plan. 
You see, when in verse 3, it says, when Herod the king heard this, that these wise men were going around and asking about this king of the Jews, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So let me give you some background of Herod and why he would be troubled. Okay, so one, Herod is the king at the time, and he was, um, so first he was a master builder. Um, back then, in order to be remembered and to gain, gain prominence among uh, the um, um, Roman Empire, is you would build structures and you would have them named or um, identified um, to you in some ways. And so um, that's how these leaders would gain prominence is by building these amazing structures. And Herod was really good at it. There are some amazing structures that I think uh, at least the foundations of them are still standing today or still there today. And, um, and, and even uh, um, uh, scholars today have no idea how in the world they built these things. So they're just so magnificent and so complicated uh, of structures. But one of them is by renovating the temple. You see, he wanted to be in good graces with the Jews. He wanted the, the, um, the Jews to like him in Israel. And so he would also get, do renovations to the temple. So he was this master builder. But um, also, he, uh, he had a lot of wives, he had like 10 wives, one of them being Jewish as well. In fact, I think I read somewhere that that was, his, that was, that was the one. That was his favorite. That's, that's the one um, that he spent most of his time with. And um, also there is some political reasons for it as well, because that would put him in good graces with the Jewish people as well. And so he's trying to maintain a good relationship with the Jews. But also not only that, okay, so he was a master builder. He had 10 wives, but he, he was also a tyrant. He was a tyrant. Um, he would eventually have two of his sons executed, all right? Um, Aiden, Miki. I don't look... Too bad of a father now, do I? My, no plot so far, right? Uh, but yeah, he plotted to kill his sons because of fear that they would take over his kingdom, that they would kill him first and rule his kingdom. And so he thought, man, I better strike first. And so he killed two of his sons. He actually, he actually executed his wife as well. This Jewish wife that he had, killed her. Um, and that was because she, she spoke out quite a bit and said things that he didn't like too much. And so he had her executed as well. I mean, this, this man um, would take um, extreme measures to secure his throne. And um, he wasn't, uh, he, he didn't mind executing people that he didn't like and didn't say the right things. And so he was a tyrant. And, and through that also, this kind of comes along with it, he was also very paranoid. He thought everybody was out to get him. Everybody was out to take his throne. And, and that's why he would go to great measures to wipe people out. So it makes sense to me, after knowing a little bit about Herod, why he would be troubled. But here's the interesting thing. It says in verse 3 that all of Jerusalem with him was troubled. Why would these wise men coming in and asking about the king of Jews, why would it trouble Jerusalem? You would think that Jerusalem would be excited. And I think there's a few reasons for it. Number one is that I think many of them wanted to keep the status quo. You see, many of them had a good thing with Herod, especially those in prominent positions. They feared Herod, but they also had a good thing with him. So, for example, Herod invested in the temple, and this would bring in more people, right? More people coming in, 
and using the temple for sacrifices. And the priests and the religious, liter, religious leaders were given a cut of all the money transactions that took place in the temple. You see, because of this, there was money to be made. And a lot of these prominent Jewish leaders of the time were, were lining their pockets this way. So it kind of makes sense because later in Matthew, we're going to see Jesus go into the temple we're going to see him not too happy where he starts tipping over the tables of the money changers. See, they would have to come in and they would have to exchange their money for temple money. And they would have to um, weigh out in gold and, and these, uh, they would be take, you know, the people would be taken advantage of in this way. So, hey, let's not rock the boat. This is a good thing for us. We're very comfortable. Let's not rock the boat. Another thing is the people knew that Herod was a tyrant and that he was paranoid. And so if he finds out about the so-called king of the Jews, there's people's lives are at stake, right? He, he doesn't care about wiping people out to, to reach his goals. And, and we actually see this in our narrative that that is true. And so I think the, the, the um, people in Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem knew this. And so when they started hearing these wise men, actually these, these outsiders come in and start asking about the king of the Jews that's, that's to be born now, they're like, whoa, this could cause trouble. This could cause lives. This can cause comfort. So Herod and all of Jerusalem are troubled. And now it's time for Herod to take action. It's time for Herod to gather intel. He brings the chief priests in and scribes together, and these are experts of the Old Testament scriptures. The, the priests were like the theologians of the time, and the scribes were like the, the concordance of the time. They were living concordances. So they had just a wealth of knowledge of scripture and they knew, they knew where it was, you know, chapter and scripture and, you know, chapter and verse. They knew where it was. And so he gathers them together and he asks them, hey, what do the scriptures say about this coming king? And they tell him, this is Matthew chapter two, verse six. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. And from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Okay, so Herod found the place. It's going to be Bethlehem. However, he still needs to whittle it down. So he, um, you know, he, he's trying to find this person. So he figured out where. Now he needs to figure out when. So after he goes to the chief priests and the scribes, he dismisses them, and then he secretly invites the wise men. He summons the wise men. You see, you can tell that he's starting to plot, right? He's, he's doing things secretly. He's, he's keeping the information and intel separate, right? So not everyone knows what he knows. He's plotting. And we see this in, in how he is... Uh, in his actions. And so he invites the wise men and he tells them, um, he asks them when the, they saw the star and then he sends them on their way to find the child. And this is where Herod makes, I think, a masterful move. Because here's the thing, he gathers intel from the chief priests and the scribes. He understands this is where he's going to be in Bethlehem. And then when he brings over the wise men, he actually gives them a clue. Hey, this is what I've heard. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. And, this, and the passage actually says that Herod sends them to Bethlehem. You see, he's, he's plotting, he's conniving. But this is where he does a masterful, masterful move in a sense where he goes, and when you find him, make sure you come back. Because, and, and let me know where he is, who he is, because I want to go and worship him as well. 
you see, this is, this is where uh, we know that that's not the real reason why Herod wants to know, right? You see, Herod is threatened. He wants to wipe out this king. And the crazy thing is, is he's going to use the wise men to do it. Unbeknownst to them, unaware, he's going to use them. And I think this is what's very interesting. And I actually, in Sunday school class, when we were talking about this, it, it came to mind that this is what's really interesting. Here is these wise men, and, and they are being guided by prophetic revelation, right? They're being guided by God. And their intent is something that is good, to worship this king. Here comes Herod with his scheming and plotting. And he's going to use these wise men that are wanting to do a good thing. He's going to use that against them in order to kill this king. So in, in a way, God's plan and Herod's plan align. God's plan for these wise men to come and worship Jesus as king aligns with Herod's plan. Hey, here's where he is. Go, find him, worship. Come back and let me know because I want to worship as well. What God means for good. Here's this powerful king meaning it for evil. Very interesting how this how this transpires. So this king of the Jews was a threat to Herod's throne and he must be destroyed. And this brings us to the third scene. And that is wise men rejoice and they worship and they give. They rejoice, they worship, and they give. Verses 9 through 11. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So there's a lot going on in the scene. We see that the wise men were sent on their way by Herod, but also this star shows up, right? And like I said, this is where God's agenda or plan aligns with Herod's. Herod sends them to Jerusalem, but also God sends this star to direct them and to put them in the exact, to, to the right place over this particular house. And this is where they, with great joy, they rejoice exceedingly. They worship and they give gifts. Now, let me ask you this. This, I think, is the question. When you think through this, these wise men that come from the east, with the amount of time that it takes to travel, the amount of money that it takes to travel, why are they seeking out a king to worship? I mean, do you think that that's their job is that they kind of go around and look for kings to worship? Why this specific king? Why did this get them to take this dangerous journey to find this king and then to worship him? And here's the thing. I think, I think they understand the significance of this king right? When they see the star and it's directing them, they rejoice exceedingly with joy. They find the baby, they worship him, and they give him gifts that are worthy of a king. And we can get into those gifts, and there might be some um, symbolism behind these gifts, but we don't have time to really dive into that. But just so you know that these are expensive gifts, they're fit for a king. This is what this is... Uh, what that shows in giving these gifts, that these are gifts fit for a king. Why in the world would these wise men travel to seek out this king, to worship him and give him these extraordinary gifts? It's because they understand that this is, this is a king that's going to be unlike any 
other king. And it's likely, well, I think it's likely that they'd read and understood this passage from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. This is Daniel. He has this vision. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. You know who's going to refer to himself in this way? The son of man? It's going to be Jesus. There came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages, not just Jews, but even nations like, I don't know, wise men from the East, Languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. You see, I think the wise men understood this king that would come out of Jewish descent, this this king that would come out of the lineage of David, that would be born and they knew that it was coming. He was coming. They, they followed the star. They came to Jerusalem. And they didn't, care, they didn't care who would know. They're asking around, where is this king of the Jews? Because this king is going to be unlike any other king ever in history. And so we have come to worship him. He's not just the king of the Jews. He's the king of all nations. So here's the question that we have this morning that we have to ask ourselves. They sought the promised king. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy when they found the promised king. They worshiped the promised king. They gave gifts to the promised king. So the question is, is do you realize Jesus is the true promised king? And if you sought after him, Have you sought after this promised king? Friends, he is unlike any other king that has been born. He is unique. He is unlike any other human being that has ever been born. And we already talked about this. This is in their previous narrative. That he came to save us from our sin. So this morning, are we seeking him? Because here's the thing, when you find him, when you really find him, when you understand what he has done for you, when you become a follower of Jesus, there will be exceeding joy and praise. You'll want to worship. That's why we gather in this morning to worship him as our king and our savior. And you'll want to give as well. You will want to give him everything that you have, your gifts that are worthy of a king. You want to give his life, your life to him. And it's because he is worthy. Jesus is king over this whole world. And he came to save sinners like us. Are we seeking him? All right, that's scene number three. We still got two more, and I'll run through these quickly. Scene number four, King Herod's evil plan is thwarted. After the wise men find Jesus, they are warned in a dream. And this is, this is what I love. Uh, in, in Matthew's account here, we see dreams all over the place. God uses dreams. The wise men, they find Jesus. They're warned in a dream to not go back to Herod, but go another way. And at that same time, Joseph was warned in a dream to take Mary and the child to Egypt because Herod wanted to destroy Jesus. So here's the thing. Even though 
Herod is plotting and conniving and, and um, lying and, um, to these wise men. And, he, and he's thinking his plan is going to take place. All of a sudden, God intervenes. He intervenes. He reveals himself to these wise men, these outsiders, these men from the east. He reveals himself to them. And he tells them, and he reveals to them, listen, you need to go a different way. Don't go back to Herod because Herod's plotting to destroy this king and the wise men obey. They obey. They obey the revelation of God. And then all of a sudden, here comes Joseph again. And we know Joseph. He's also had dreams in the past. We also know what his trend when he hears the word of the Lord, even through a dream, he obeys as well. And so throughout this, God is working. He is working through his people. He is revealing himself through his people and his people are obeying and are following his direction. And through that, God's plan comes to fruition. You see, through divine intervention, Jesus, and we see this, that Jesus is safe. He gets safely away. So here's the point. Men scheme, but even as men scheme, God's plan is accomplished. So it comes back to our main idea again, and that is to be assured that no power on earth can thwart God's coming kingdom. His kingdom is at hand, and there is nothing that men or women can do to stop it. It is assured. And so here's where it applies to us today. I think this understanding of this, this important truth is what can defeat our fears, our anxiety, anger, frustration, our impatience throughout this time, throughout our lives, throughout our weeks, throughout our days. You see, we can look at all the injustices that we see around us, all the dangers, all the corruption, all the scheming. If you think about it, I, sometimes I think about this probably maybe too much. We are living in a time and we live in a country that is unprecedented. Our country is the most powerful force that this world has ever seen. Think about it. Throughout history, what this country is capable of. So think about the men and women who are in charge of this country. I mean, we can, we can destroy cities with a button. We could probably destroy continents with a few buttons. The power that we wield. And then you think of the men and women that are in charge of all of that. And you think, holy cow, this is crazy. It's scary. It can be scary, right? Except for one thing. God has a plan. And God's plan cannot be thwarted by any ruler or authority of this world. Doesn't matter who it is. Doesn't matter if you voted for him or not. Doesn't matter how old he is. He cannot thwart God's plan. We need to take comfort in that. Every day when we wake up, anytime we turn on the news, anytime we, we hear about what's taking place around the world, wars that are taking place, destruction, storms, tornadoes. It doesn't matter. God's plan cannot be thwarted. And here's the promise. This is going off a little bit, but, you know, God's promises come to fruition. We see this here in this text. His kingdom is coming. Here's another promise. Jesus, after he rose from the grave, said, I will come back. 
I will come back and I'll take up my people and I'm going to establish a new heavens and a new earth and my kingdom will be established. We do not have to fear. We don't have to wallow in despair or anxiety. God's kingdom will be established through Jesus. And we can trust in that. So that's number four. Scene number four, King Herod's evil plan is thwarted. Here's scene number five, and that is King Jesus returns. He returns. And through all this, it's through dreams, right? So God tells Joseph, go to Egypt, flee to Egypt, which this, I, I wasn't going to talk about this, but this is really interesting because there is, there is a irony in this. Because when we see that this um, Herod, and we didn't even touch upon this, but this is huge too, that Herod would come to great lengths to kill children, to hold on to his throne, right? He's intimidated. He's, he's, he's paranoid about the, what could transpire through this king. You know, there was another ruler that did something very similar back in the Old Testament. It was Pharaoh. And he was intimidated by the Jews and how quickly they were to, they reproduced and, and how, the, how heavily populated they were. And so he decided to kill their children, kill their young as well. Kill the males. When they are born, kill them. Right? And then later when Moses becomes a threat, he gets sent out, Right? He, gets, he escapes from Pharaoh's grasp until Pharaoh dies. And after he's dead, you know what happens? God tells him to come back. And when he comes back, he takes his people out of Egypt. Here again, a life is in danger by this ruler. This time, instead of fleeing Egypt, he's telling Joseph to go to Egypt. So flee from Egypt to now flee to Egypt to escape this ruler. So there's some, there's some parodies here. There's some parallels just with the story of Moses and the story of Jesus. This is, this is a picture of this being perhaps what Matthew is trying to communicate. This is another Moses. A Moses back then was to save his people from from Egypt and their rule and to make them into a nation. This is a little bit different. This is another Moses, but he is gathering his people, not just from Israel, but from all peoples to establish another nation, another kingdom. So there's some interesting things that is happening here. But anyways, King Jesus returns. Verse 19 says, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. Okay. So now Herod is dead and he rose and he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was re, uh, reigning over Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. So what happens? Being warned in a dream again, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. And so here we see God. Um, it looks to us all these twists and turns, right? But throughout, we see, number one, that God's plan cannot be thwarted. That even though that men scheme, even in those schemes, God is going to work out his plan. And here's what's amazing about it. Through this, and we didn't dive into these at all, but we could spend a lot of time in this. Do you know how many prophecies were fulfilled throughout all this? There's like four or five different prophecies that, that is inserted into this narrative that actually get fulfilled 
in these events. You see, God planned this long ago. It was his plan all along. And now we're seeing it fulfilled in this narrative. You see, we can take assurance that what God promises, what he has revealed to us will come to fruition. Be assured, brothers and sisters, that no power on earth can thwart God's coming kingdom. Do you believe that? Do you believe it this morning? Will you believe it tomorrow? Will you believe it throughout this week when, when things come about in your life, when, when fears may come, when troubles arise, they may be small, they may be personal, or they may be big. Do you believe that God has a plan? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for this particular passage in the book of Matthew that, that reminds us, that teaches us that you are the ruler over all things. Lord, we can take, we can put our faith in that. We can, we can lean into that truth, Lord. There's a way that we can apply that to our lives, Lord, because there are so many things that we are not in control of. That could be scary. It could be unnerving. But Lord, let us be reminded of who is ultimately in control and that you have a plan. Lord, you have not revealed your plan to us through dreams, but you have revealed it through your scripture, through the word of God. We have that before us today in written form. Lord, may we trust in it. May we hold to it. May it dive down deep into our hearts and our souls so that we may live it out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.